Okay. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Preferred Walk-Ons podcast. Uh, We appreciate all of your listening so far through our first six episodes. We have been getting more and more downloads with each week, which is very exciting to see. Shout out to our uh, two international downloads this week, one from Canada, one from Saudi Arabia. Oh, I actually, that's that's me. I have a big personal oh. audience in Saudi Arabia. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I don't want to talk any further about it, but. All right, sure. But that's exciting to, <laughs> that we're, we're, we're like Beatles mania taking over the globe. That's right. Very, very slowly. We're, we're slow spreading Beatles mania. Exactly. Anyway. Yeah. Appreciate it. And uh, thanks for joining in. We have a lot of basketball, and particularly ACC basketball, to talk about today. But I think at first, kind of an interesting story that is developing. We're recording this on Sunday, January 22nd. And Ed Reed, having a back and forth, looked like he was going to be the head coach of Bethune-Cookman. And now no longer going to be the head coach of Bethune-Cookman. Yeah, it was uh, a little 25-day saga where he kind of was the coach, but the contract wasn't official, and it's been it's been weird, right? I, I, you and I were kind of talking off-air about, like, this general feeling around the story of, did I miss something? Was there something here that we didn't know was there? Or, or you know, more than, than what it appears? And, and if you haven't been following the story at all, so... He, they announced he gets the job shortly after that, like within a week. This video comes out of him ranting sort of about uh, lack of support and resources and lack of funding and all this stuff. He kind of generalizes it as at HBCUs, but specifically at Bethune-Cookman. And supposedly, I guess that seems to be the reason that they don't want him there anymore. Or right, so he there, he go, he's like riding around on a golf cart, commenting on the trash that was going on. Very expletive filled yeah. rant about the school, and it sounds like following that, the school had some reservations about hiring him. There may have been something that he was pushing back on in the contract where he didn't feel he was getting the support that the school had initially promised to him. So. Uh, I believe it was yesterday where he comes out and gives an impassioned video where he's talking to the parents of the players mm-hmm. and the players themselves about how he wants to be the coach. He wasn't removing his name, but the school wasn't going to ratify his contract. So very odd situation, right? Like I can't think of another example where something like this has happened. Yeah, I mean, it, it's... An odd thing, and and kind of he and his team have come out and sort of said that this has more to do with the language they put in the contract about resources and funding and things like that. And what it seems is coming out, I I was reading something earlier from that Edron James came out and said that Ed Reed had all of these people lined up, including Shaq and different like billionaires from outside of Bethune-Cookman who were prepared to invest um, and make donations. And that it, it seems to me that they're kind of alluding to this idea that maybe the school was not super into that idea of, of having all this outside money coming in that isn't affiliated with Bethune-Cookman, that isn't affiliated with HBCUs even as a whole, which I can kind of understand. Right, it's an interesting dynamic, right? Yeah. It's It's people who want to support HBCUs but aren't directly involved. Mm-hmm. And so 
you know, if you're a school, you can't control necessarily who is involved, right? If, if they're recruiting people that are kind of outside of your domain and you, schools like having control over those kind of situations and where money comes in usually. It's an interesting thing of, uh, and I was reading some different takes on it, including uh, Mike Freeman was wrote some stuff about this and the idea that, that Ed Reed is calling out what he sees as corruption with an administration um, he used the words broken mentalities among administrators and kind of, you know, again, I think maybe it was because of the profanity, maybe because they saw it as an unprofessional way to voice these concerns. Mike Freeman was writing about the idea that, like, it's it's a bad look because, and I think this is very true, people are so ready and willing to criticize HBCUs and there is sort of this, like, national perspective this uh, um he referred to as kind of the national zeitgeist that like hbcus are poorly run and uh whatever the case may be right there is definitely this admittedly prejudiced view of hbcus that people have and his feeling was that ed reed doing this very publicly and the way he did it is just going to feed into people's idea that this is what hbcus are at a time where objectively hbcus around the country are actually thriving Right. And you're seeing like increases in enrollment and increase and growth in endowment and better financial situations all around. So it just it's it's a tough situation. Right. Where Ed Reed, I think if you watch uh, really either of the videos, the one that came out after it came out that they were, were going to let him go or, or whatever, like all of that, either of those videos, you can see this guy cares. Right. He wants to help. Like, I think his heart's in the right place. And, and you know, who am I to say? how he should go about it, right? I think maybe he was unprepared for what he was coming into. Any He hasn't had a lot of coaching experience or anything like that. He's done some consultant work with Miami. He was an assistant with the Buffalo Bills back in, I think, in like 2016 or something like that. So his experience that he has is at the high major level or NFL level. And so he, he may just not have been prepared for lower level college football. Like that just might have been the case. I, I just think it's interesting. I think it's interesting in the context of what we've seen with Deion Sanders over the last couple of years. Uh, he can, When he went on Instagram Live the second time, Dion joined him and said, I tried to tell you, this is what it is. And like, I'm not going to get into that. I, I, like, right. Who knows the inner workings? But it's kind of the prime effect, right? That, that now these schools, not just, HB, I say the, not just HBCUs, there are schools all over that are going after younger like former players to get these like celebrity savior coaches to come in and get buzz at UAB that just went Trent Dilfer mm -hmm. right so like you're trying to get these big names to try to like generate buzz for your program Deion Sanders as he has been for pretty much all of all of his life maybe an outlier here right this may not be the new rule so I don't know it's just it, it is an interesting thing to follow though yeah it's for me and again I don't know all the information i feel like there's still stuff that could come out one way or the other and it, i'm i'm not smart enough to weigh in on kind of the politics and uh history of hbcus right but it's one of those unfortunate situations where you can understand both sides right mm -hmm. so like everything you just said about ed reed could be true could be very disappointing what he's walking into when he really cares and really wants to build a a successful program he doesn't feel he has the resources or commitment it's also true that you know if you're a school you have to represent more than just a football team yeah and if somebody is coming in and swearing and trashing your school that's not really what the first thing you want to hear <laughs> when 
they're the one of the main figureheads for trying to get people, not just football players, but just students in general to come to your school and say that this is a safe environment where, you know, academics are prioritized and we have good facilities and all this other stuff, right? Like you can understand why the school might see that as touchy and before a contract has yeah. even been yeah. signed, right? So it's unfortunate all around and yeah, I hope that Ed Reed gets another opportunity somewhere because I, he was a great player. I, I'm sure he has a wealth of knowledge. He clearly does care about players and developing young men. And yeah, just kind of an odd situation. I, and I, I really have kind of gone back and forth on what I actually think about it at the end of the day. Ed Reed is obviously like known throughout his career as being a strong leader. You know, I mean, he sort of took a backseat to Ray Lewis with those Ravens teams as a leader, but there's plenty of examples of this. And it, I guess my only, my last thought or my last question on this is if if you're not bringing him on because he released this video that was fiery and expletive laden and all this stuff, who did you think Ed Reed was? Right. Like we've all, this is who he is. And we all know that, right? Like right. we've seen videos of him giving locker room speeches and stuff like that. And it's, it's not... Some nice, clean, like politician type personality. I mean, he's he's Ed Reed. Like this right. is not. There's like, a real authenticity to him. Yeah. And that's part of what you're getting. Absolutely. Him. And and if you didn't want that, I just don't think that this should have been surprising. Really. Like, so that's the part of me that leans toward is it because he's calling out problems and that's sensitive, right? Which I'm not saying they're wrong for that, but I just it is. It's an interesting thing to try to position it, or it seems it has been positioned at some point of just like, well, it's because of the lack of professionalism and the profanity, but there's no way, like, there's no way you didn't expect that. And like, you saw Dion, like, that was, that was, Dion Sanders as a coach was saying things that a lot of coaches don't say publicly. And so if you are kind of following that pattern, right, when you're doing, you're trying to get these savior coaches that are former players or whatever it seems like that's part of the package but if he'd been if he'd been criticizing southern university and yeah. saying that we that we are going to crush him just yeah, give, yeah, me, yeah. give me a year and a half and now we're like i don't think there's any way that he's getting fired no. right it's not just he used swear words no it's it's because he i think shone a light onto some problems and the way he did it they probably didn't like and you know i i just i i it seems like it was just not a well thought out relationship from the start, but you know, but I guess better now than there'd be problems in the middle of the season, and you know, kids have a chance to figure out what they want to do in terms of where they want to play and stuff. Like, there's still time to, to transfer and whatever. If there are kids who are there, I mean, it hasn't been long enough that there's been people com- coming there just because of Ed Reed. But if there are recruits who were considering it or something like that, but it's it's a mess. It is definitely a mess. I would love to follow up on this and maybe get somebody on who is much smarter about this than I am, like mm-hmm. has a better historical yeah. perspective on this. But I think it's something that we should continue to follow as we go forward. Is there anything else football related? There's no football on yeah, no college football. Yeah. It's all pro football. So let's move to basketball. Let's do it. So uh, ACC basketball. <laughs> do you want to start with the positive, happy-go-lucky uh, Michael McGraw perspective on UVA and their great week? Or do you want to start with the Alexander, terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day for NC State yesterday? How would, what, what would make you feel better? Well, I'll tell you what, because, you know, I, I anticipate most of our audience is through the Sabre and UVA fans. Let's get the, 
let's get the bad news out of the way first, and sure. then and then we can spend some time, you know, uh, heaping praise uh, Tony Bennett's feet. Perfect. Um, That's what I have written down here on my sheet. Wonderful. So. Wonderful. Well, look, here's the deal, right? Carolina refs. I mean, it's not. Look, I feel like I make a strong effort as a fan, as a coach, to not say games come down to officiating, right? Like, there are areas in this game in which NC State got outplayed by Carolina yesterday. I mean, you can't let Armando Baycott have 23 and 18, right? That's kind of tough. That's not good. When R.J. Davis goes for 26 points, uh, that's not great. However, let's talk about that's a great place to start. We'll talk about R.J. Davis' 26 points because 14 of those points came at the free throw line. So I texted you actually before the game. You did. Before the game even started. You called your shot. <clears throat> I did. I texted you this stat that on the season, going into the game yesterday, for the uh, entire season, um, Carolina had made 336 free throws. Their opponents collectively have attempted 304. So that's a margin of plus 32. Carolina's free throw makes to their opponent's attempts. So we could look at that and just say Carolina refs, like, we've seen it all the time. And and there are all sorts of, I was following some discourse uh, on Twitter today about how, you know, really good teams, this is part of their game, right? They are physical. They are super athletic. They're bound to be taller and more skilled. So they are likely to get calls, right? And they make that part of their game plan. That plus 32 margin of free throw makes to attempts, though, is still... It's high. It's it's it's, it's reminiscent great. of those Duke teams. Like, that was always something that got put on ESPN broadcasts yeah. about, like, all those, the great Duke teams. About, like, wow, they get, they make more free throws than people. And it's like, yeah, well, that's kind of what we've been saying. Right, right. And there's something wrong there, right? It, it may happen some. When it's happening that much over the course of an entire season, it seems there's a problem. Now, by comparison, NC State has made 250 free throws. Its opponents, collectively, on the season, have attempted 358. So that's a minus 108 margin. Now, is I, that because you're an undisciplined team? Clearly. With with Casey Morsell leaving UVA because he didn't want to play defense. Right, right, right. Look, <laughs> you could... Now, here's the thing. The, the, the attempts number, I could see... Being higher with the style of basketball that NC State plays, right? They play an up-tempo, aggressive defense. They foul a decent amount. It's true, as Casey Morsell literally fouled out of the game yesterday. But the uh, uh, so that's fine. What's crazy to me is that our numbers are so low. When you look at our backcourt and like Terquavion Smith and Jarkel Joyner are two of the best like penetrating guards in the conference. The fact that they don't get to the free throw line more than they do is insane. Terquavion Smith yesterday took one free throw. One free throw. He took almost as many shots to the head as he did free throws. It is absurd. If we just look at the game yesterday, NC State, 12 free throws. Now, we don't even have to like, I don't even have to give you the Carolina number yet. A team only getting 12 free throws in an up-tempo game, in the AC, in a rivalry game, in a game that Armando Baycott is playing in, who fouls when he wakes up. Like, <laughs> the fact that NC State only took 12 free throws all game is already a problem. They went 12 for 12, by the way. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's good. Carolina's free throw numbers, 36 for 39. That's pretty good, too. I just, at, at no level of basketball, 
this is like how I we had a, a in our, for the high school team that we coach. There was a game recently uh, where I remember saying this. I don't remember who we were, doesn't matter who we were playing, but where there was a huge free throw disparity, and I think I was just saying to you that just doesn't happen. Like where you have one team getting fouled enough to take thirty nine free throws and one team only taking twelve. Like that is ridiculous, and and and. I'm not saying that there's some active plan. Like, the refs come into the game and they're like, let's give a bunch of free throws to But you're also not not I'm not going to not say it. But it's just like, in a game that's decided by 11 points, and that's with some free throws at the end, like, it was a fairly close game throughout, even after Quavion went down, and we can touch on that in a second. The That big of a disparity makes a big difference in a game. Like, it's wild. If If we were just jacking up threes... Like, I would understand. But we took fewer threes than Carolina did. Like, it, we were playing a... We were driving. Like, it was there. The opportunities to get fouled were there. They did get fouled. And they just weren't getting the calls. And, and I just feel like that's disappointing to have something like that to be able to point to. I would so much rather just have lost and just be able to say, yeah, they're better than us. Mm-hmm. But I just don't feel like I can say that right now. But I just don't know. Like, when it's that... When it's that bad, it distracts from the basketball. Yeah, I totally agree. And I I can hear mostly my parents complaining about uh, officiating of UVA games. As UVA started the season off in a similar place where they were shooting, they were making more free throws than opponents were even shooting, right? Mm-hmm. And it's kind of shifted back the other way now that they're playing small and shooting a lot more threes, like you said, not getting as much penetration and not drawing contact for those fouls. But having watched the game, and like I'm not a neutral observer because I would rather... Because you're human and hate Carolina. Right, I, yeah. I don't want Carolina to win. But having watched the game yesterday with you, like there was a lot of ticky-tack things that they they just completely put their thumb on the game. Right, right. right. And officiating is very difficult. And so, again, I'm not... like I don't, no, It's I, absolutely hard. But, but at some point, you should be able to look at this and say... like. Just doesn't feel quite right. Like it's 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 three to one. This is right why, sure. as coaches, you bring up foul counts to refs. You're like, look, I'm, it's not a, an allegation that you're trying to do something unbalanced, but like, just the nature of the sport, it doesn't get that unbalanced when the teams are relatively similar levels, right? Like similar records here. I would say objectively, if you look at performance this season, like similar performance over the course of the season, but to have 27 foul call, fouls called on State to Carolina's 16, and then just the fact that then that manifests itself in an even greater ratio when it comes to shooting fouls, like, that's just kind of crazy to me. Yeah. It is what it is. I, I, there are some State fans that I've seen on Twitter that are like, man, I hope when they come to Raleigh, we get a different officiating crew. No, I want the same one because I feel like they're more likely to balance it out. They're more likely right. to respond to people just heckling them and screaming at them, Absolutely. Right? Like, you know, it tells me that this crew, like, they're going to be thinking about that. So, we'll see. I mean, we'll end up with Ted Valentine and, you know. Jamie that, Lucky. That never goes poorly. <laughs> Obviously, the big play here, right? The leaky black foul on Terquivion Smith. You're, you think it was clean? I... Don't think it was clean, <laughs> oh. but I don't think it was dirty. I, I mean, if, if that makes sense. Like, right. I don't think he was intentionally trying to hurt him. No. I, so I've followed Leaky Black really since high school. He grew up just outside of Charlotte. So I've seen the guy as a, from a high school, his high school career through his time at Carolina. And I have a lot of respect for Leaky Black. I think he is an exciting player to watch. I've, I've never seen him do something that I was like, that guy's dirty or 
a jerk or whatever. I, he's actually probably one of the Carolina players that I have respected the most in my lifetime. The the play itself, I mean, we, we watched it happen, and I would say both of us kind of said it didn't look particularly dirty. It didn't look particularly bad even, right? right. Um, now, we know now that the stretcher was precautionary and that Traquavion is fine. And it was more a case of he went down and started complaining about pain in his neck. And so that's always yeah, you gotta a... got to do that immediately. Which, like, shout out to the, the Carolina medical team. Like, they took good care of him. I'm glad they took it seriously. I'd so much rather see him taken off as a precaution and taken care of than him risk it to finish the game. Like, that's, things are bigger than one game, right? This kid is a lottery NBA pick who's going to have a career as, like, a Jamal Crawford-type scorer in the NBA would be my projection like, protect yourself, right? And then the, the what sealed it for me is that Kevin Keats said that Leaky Black, after the game, asked for Terquavion's phone number so that he could check on him and express his... Do we know that that's what he did, though? Like, maybe he, set, maybe <laughs> he like, sent him some, you know, some memes. He might have. He might have. I assume from the story that uh, his... Uh, I want to text him the word <laughs> scoreboard. Well, that is apparently this is the great. I I hate this because we, we did this with Demar Hamlin in the NFL, mm-hmm. who's like who won, and apparently they wanted to say Turquavion's first thing in the hospital in the ambulance is he asked what the score was, and it's like okay, I get it. We know these guys are competitors. That's how they got to this level. Like I don't need that story. I, I think maybe know. it says something about me because I have been in an ambulance before, and my first question in the ambulance was. Uh, why am I in so much pain? Yeah, I ow. <laughs> yeah, ouch. Make can you make the stop? Please? How many drugs, please? <laughs> yeah. So I mean, like, I, like Turquavion. I, I mean, I've been thinking as as a state fan, I've been thinking about him um, even after they said uh, he's okay. Like it's obviously heavy on the minds of NC State fans of like this dude. This kid is good. And so he, is he going to be back soon? What's it? Does they he said day to day. Day to day. Okay. So they didn't say there was any like serious injury, which is good news. So I don't know, right? I mean, like it's that's a tough thing, and I, I obviously I want I want him to be safe and take care of himself um, over anything else. Looking from the basketball perspective, we've got Notre Dame, Wake, Florida State all coming in the next week or so. Those winnable are, games. It's almost like you'd like to like you want to win those games. Are those game? Can you can you win those games without him? Probably. I don't. I don't know. It could be tough, right? Uh, but it, it was a scary moment, and I'm just glad that he's okay. I just would urge people not to, like, I don't know, let Leaky Black live. Like, he's fine. Like, he didn't... This wasn't... There are plays we've seen that deserve, like, the vitriol and hatred, and I just don't think this is one of them. Right. He's not Grayson Allen. No, he's no. not He's not Grayson Allen. Well, there's nothing here that I look at him like he tried to hurt him. Right. There's a attempt to make a play... Was it a flagrant foul? For sure. I'm not even sure about the flagrant two part of. I don't. I don't know. Like I, to me, that wasn't the most important thing. I just feel like I wasn't so focused on that. Now, what was hilarious to me is on Twitter seeing the Carolina fans like, "Oh my god, I can't believe we got a flagrant two on them!" Like again, you shot 39 free throws to our 12. Like right. So that you pick this one officiating thing to be like, "I oh my god, they're out to get us." Like it's very like you know yeah you're building this conspiracy of like we're. And I've seen this among Carolina fans this year. They started out number one, fell out of the rankings, and there's kind of this, like, everybody wants us to fail, so they're working against us. So, yes, you're right, but also your team's just not that great. I think, uh, I having been to a game at the Dean E. Smith Center 
I will say this. I think objectively. The E stands for evil, by the way. Oh, I don't. I'm not sure it does, but I'll, I'll let me check that <laughs> after. They have some of the most grievance-oriented fans yeah. that will complain about literally anything. Like they are, they are shocked when any call goes against them. Mm-hmm. It's like, what? How? How could something get called on our team? Right. Well, let's just say they're very used to things in life going their way. The wine and cheese crowd that shows up at the Dean Smith Center. Are there Carolina fans? Now, hey, don't I don't want to hear any trash talk about wine and cheese crowds. Okay, let's. That seemed very we'll, targeted. That we'll, seemed targeted at me. We'll save that for February seventh. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. So you know, whatever. All in all, State's still playing way better than I thought they would. So still a tournament team. I can't probably. be. I can't be too too. Yeah. As long as you don't collapse right now, right. So, I can't be too upset about it. It just sucks to lose to Carolina, always. We'll get them back. We got them again. And, you know, I, I feel like this is the kind of season where we can beat them at home and you split with them and then who knows, right? But, yeah, it sucks. Everybody everybody listening to this agrees that losing to Carolina is the worst. Speaking of losing to Carolina, yeah, UVA did not lose to Carolina this is true. in their first matchup. I, I do want to talk a little bit about Virginia to make sure that our our podcast listeners on the Sabre are appeased <laughs> and can celebrate uh, a good run of basketball here from Virginia uh, yesterday. A very wild back-and-forth game with Wake Forest where they were up 19 and then got it all the way down to one with foul trouble for Beekman and Kihei Clark and managed to pull out a very good win on the road. And then earlier in the week, of course, beating Virginia Tech is just wonderful. It just yeah, makes that my always day. feels good, huh? You know, I, I, I during my during my New Year's resolutions, I said I would celebrate wins more, enjoy them more. I did enjoy that one a lot. <laughs> that you one, always would have enjoyed that one. Though. I would have, but I probably would have like moved on to the next thing. I tried to at least spend a day being like, that was really. They had Hunter Couture back. We played really well. We scored a lot of points and. Yeah, Reese Beekman posterized some people. You were feeling very, very optimistic about it, which is funny because then I compare that to what I consider the normal experience from you yesterday. Right. Watching the weight game where with like nine minutes left, you're like, man, this is such a frustrating loss. Okay, what I meant to say was that it was a frustrating way to lose if that is what was going on. Okay. And in fairness, okay. in fairness, with one thing I think is clear... UVA without Kia Clark and Reese Beekman in the lineup, they're not as good. Well, which sure. is why this is why it's good that both of them play. Breaking right news: now. sports team bad with two starters out. Right, not yeah. bad, but worse. Right. I mean, yeah, like that was a really like having them play the last seven minutes. You like I know, I know that's an obvious point, but just watching how much better the offense is and the defense when those two are in the lineup or either of them are in the lineup, yeah. right? It's night and day. Like, UVA is not a tournament team without those two people sure. on, on their roster. Definitely true. I just thought it was funny. I called you out in the moment, too. You like, did. I'm, I'm glad you did. That's fine. Like, your team was still competitive. And you had you had texted before we were physically together for the second half of that game. During the first half, you texted me and said something about, like, the foul trouble keeping them in the game. And, like, let's not forget that Wake has been a pretty decent team this season. Like, they, you guys came into the game, I believe, with the same conference record. The uh, they've they've been strong and they've had these games where this Monsanto kid has just 
lit it up. He catches fire, and this is like I think it was like his fifth or sixth game with four or more threes. He ended up with seven of them. Um, so it's kind of trying to say to you then, like, yeah, this is also a pretty decent team. Like, they're probably going to punch back at some point. Yeah, it's not a. It wouldn't have been a bad loss just to lose to Wake. It, would, it the context of how it be, happened, being up nineteen and then just completely. I mean, for a while they had for they had sixteen points in like the first eleven and a half minutes of the second half, right? Yeah. And, and that's the thing that UVA fans, commentators worry about with UVA is that they have these dry spells on offense, right? And it has gotten better since they've gone small. They've gone to this ultra guard oriented lineup where they've done kind of triangle offense and they've taken away some of the people who are just not shooters on the mm-hmm. floor right so you take Caffro off you take shedrick off and I mean, those two played a combined eight minutes yesterday right right so they so it makes it so that everybody has the opportunity to shoot everybody on the roster mm-hmm. the trade-off is the defense isn't nearly as good right so like, they, they did struggle to guard uh, Virginia Tech, gave up a lot of open shots to Virginia Tech. They struggled clearly against Wake Forest getting to the basket. Appleby did a really good job of drawing fouls on Clark and mm-hmm. Beekman. So, yeah, it's an it'll be an interesting thing to see how UVA navigates this, right? I think Tony Bennett is still kind of experimenting, and it's great to see that UVA's offense is really clicking a lot better. Can they get enough defense can they get enough stops now which is like something we've never had to think about with UVA right I can't help but feel watching this team that now that I've seen a little bit more of them that there is a piece missing there's there is a a bench like an off the bench ball handler playmaker like you you kind of pointed out uh yesterday during the game that you know when Kihei and Reese are both out it kind of becomes like McNeely's job to sort of run the point, which just it objectively doesn't look great. Right. So it does feel like there's that piece missing that I, I, if I were a UVA fan, I would be worried about, you know, a game in March where this happens, you get in foul trouble, or if you get a, an injury or something like it, it just feels like the, the pieces are just barely there. Right. So and then I- like you have to, not to get like too too far ahead, but I think then you also have to for state of the program like look ahead and think like Kihei Clark is eventually like this is his last year, right? Like, it has yes. to be good. Like mathematically, there's no or is it? <laughs> there's no way. So like, what's the plan, right? And I, I I'm not all in on on UVA recruiting and stuff like that, but it just feels whatever. We can talk about that when the season ends, but even right now, just like. Kihei sprains an ankle or gets in foul trouble. What does that look like? Yeah, right. I mean, I think you have somebody in Reese Beekman who's capable as a point. Uh, I but think I don't think that's where he's at his best. No, 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 it's not. But part of what, and part of, to your point, the, the missing piece is being filled right now by Ryan Dunn. Yeah. Right? So he's been, I mean, he was a defensive and rebounding difference maker yesterday. Mm-hmm. He played 30 minutes for UVA, which is easily the highest it's been all season. And so he's getting a lot more playing time and they've gone to him because of his, his athleticism and his ability to defend different people, you know, different people, people who are guards forwards, right? That, yeah. uh, right. So, and he's done a little bit of a better job than that. than Jaden Gardner, who is quote unquote, fallen out of fever in these last couple of games. I still think that he's going to be a really important piece for UVA, but 
Just just can't afford for him to fall out of. Like, what does that even mean? Well, I just right? mean he's he's lost some minutes in the way. Like Ryan Dunn has more athletic ability to defend and get yeah. rebounds, and Jaden's the thing that Jaden knows better right now is making shots, and he struggled a little bit with his you know medium shooting. Yeah, right. Sure. So if he's not hitting those shots, then you got to put somebody else in and give them a chance. I, again, I think it ebbs and flows through the season. I think you'll see Jaden Gardner play really important minutes and. In big games, but I think the hope is that Ryan Dunn is that you know as a freshman coming along six eight, he is going to be the one that develops. Can he develop a little bit more of an outside shot? Like he hit a really big three yesterday against Wake. It was only mm-hmm. his fourth three of the season, right? Mm-hmm. So he he's not a threat out there right now, but more of a threat than Gardner is. More of a threat than Gardner is shooting threes. Yeah. The the concern I would have with that is as you're going small ball, is Ryan Dunn's a pretty slender dude. And I just would worry, like, Jaden Gardner is not tall. I think he's actually shorter. Yeah. But he can bang around down low defensively. It would seem to me, in a, in a limited viewing, but it would seem to me probably better than Dunn can. So if you're going small against certain teams, you know, Vanderplas is, you know, your de facto five, kind of. As right, like, yeah. You know, and so, like, are you giving up too much size to some teams I'm curious to see that actually in the state Virginia game, because like when DJ Burns is down there with his 400 pound self spinning baseline, like who's guarding that, right? And then if there's other bigs available during, you know, it, it just feels like a team like that. I'm actually really really excited for that game because a team like like State with athletic bigs who have skill down low, like defensively, could be a challenge for UVA as currently constructed, right? Yeah. I do think that it, that that will be the most interesting thing about UVA is how much of it is matchup dependent. Mm-hmm. Right? I think we've seen that Tony likes this experiment of going small, but to win, to go far, but in the when it makes sense, yeah. you have to be able to get contribution. And he and he played Cafro early in the game yesterday yeah. for a significant number of you know minutes before taking him out and kind of never going back to him right. because because he perceived that we were getting pushed around under the basket, right? So, and that was right before UVA went on its 17-0 run, mm-hmm. hitting hitting threes all over the place, right? But, I mean, those you're, you're going to run into a lineup that has a seven-footer who can score and stretch the, the defense, and you have to be able to match that size. You're just going to get destroyed yeah. on the glass. Yeah. And so, I mean, we'll see. I, again, I still think this Virginia team is probably my favorite ACC team in terms of who I think really has a potential for long-term success this se- like to the end of the season. I don't really believe in Clemson, right? I mean, Clemson's still at the top right now, but barely beat Virginia Tech yesterday, lost to Wake earlier in the week. You know, I, I just I don't quite see it. Um, maybe it's my bias against Brad Brownell, but... I, um, you know, I, I just think like UVA still projects out probably as my ACC favorite still. I think Clemson is, is you know, days away from a losing streak. <laughs> like it just feels like it's it's coming. Yeah, I th- and I thought they were going to lose yesterday too. I It's kind of amazing to see Virginia Tech struggle so much offensively, right? Like you don't often yeah. see that even against UVA in the past when UVA has beaten them. It's been... Still, like you gotta have to outscore them. Yeah, which is what Tony Bennett said after the game. I, you know, as as a UVA fan, I feel like you know there's like a, a mindset of focusing on 
deficiencies with the team. We got to be able to do this, right? Yeah. But at the same time, I think it's also worth pointing out. So uh, Danny Nickel, who is a great resource, any UVA fan who's not following him, him on Twitter, I highly recommend it. He was pointing <laughs> out that each of the la- last seven uh, national champions have had Ken Palm ratings, offense and defense, in the top 25. Mm. And so there are only a few teams right now that have that. UVA is one of them, along with Purdue, Houston, UCLA, Alabama, UConn, and Kansas, right? So, like, I look at the team, and I worry exactly in the same way that you do. Like, yeah, you know, can this small ball work all the way through? Yeah. you got to get some contributions down low, right? They're in good company there in terms yeah. of being efficient on both sides of the ball. Absolutely. So it's just kind of, again, you just have to hope that, kind of the stars align things go well nobody gets hurt you avoid foul trouble like again those are the big things right if you can if you can lean on those kind of seven guys that are getting a lot of minutes right now with Shedrick and and Caffaro as your you know in certain games they're going to play more but it's looking at yesterday right those seven guys you have the starting five and then Don and McNeely coming off the bench right if you can lean on that great And, and I think that's sort of Carolina's approach right now. Like they don't really use, you know, they don't have much on the bench that they are comfortable using, and you know it can work. It can you can shorten that rotation, and it's not. Tony Bennett has earned the benefit of the doubt. I think he knows what he's doing, right? right. I'm just curious to see how it plays out moving forward. So I, I mentioned the Ken Palm rankings. Yeah, a number of those teams high in the Ken Palm rankings, and also in the AP Top 25 rankings. Had a tougher week than Virginia did. Yeah, they've had. So there's been some some struggles at the top recently. Uh, notably, just today, our number one team, Houston, fell to noted powerhouse Temple, twenty point favorites, lost yeah. at home. John Cheney walking through that door. I don't know how that happens. How do you lose to Temple right now? Who is their coach right now? It's a great question. Uh, like no I, one knows. I literally couldn't tell you who the Temple basketball coach is at the moment. And would not have guessed that it's Aaron McKee. Okay, well, sure. I mean, so clearly Temple went the the Georgetown route and brought back a a program great, but, you know, they're winning games. Yeah, it's working out okay for them. Yeah, not bad. Purdue today barely beat Maryland. That seems weird. I don't, this Maryland team is not good. No. They're, they're like the most 10 seed in the NCAA tournament ever. Yeah. That yeah. people will convince themselves they're going to make the Elite Eight somehow. Absolutely. And they just won't. For um, me, for me, the more shocking one was Kansas. Kansas losing to at row. home. The Kansas State loss, I actually don't think is that sure. surprising, right? It was an overtime game at, at in Manhattan, State, yeah. right? So that can happen. And Kansas State's really, really good. Getting blown out at home by TCU. And TCU is not terrible either. Like they're a ranked team, but man, that is that was one of the biggest losses in yeah. their home history, right? So that was shocking. That was really, really tough. And and yeah, the Kansas State loss isn't surprising. It's more that like this is two in a row. And and just the fact that you've got two in a row now. And well, I mean, the good thing for Kansas is the schedule gets way easier. Oh, never mind. Sorry. Going to going to Waco, Texas. Going to Waco tomorrow. Then going to Lexington, Kentucky, which like I know Kentucky's been down, but it's still Kentucky, still tough. and you're still going there on a in a big national televised game. Then you got Kansas State, Iowa State, Texas. Man, there is no rest for the weary there in Lawrence, Kansas. But it's Bill Self, it's Kansas. Like 
I think they're going to be all right. They will probably be fine. But like they're not going to drop all those games. What about Gonzaga? <laughs> Check it in a couple weeks and they have dropped yeah. all those games. Uh, what about Gonzaga, though, <laughs> losing losing their 75-game home win streak yeah, to a, Loyola Marymount? Just like we all predicted. This Gonzaga <laughs> team is weird. I, I, I really thought they would get more... They would have better guard play. Um, and that certainly has... Nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, I mean, Drew Temme is still doing his thing. Right? They squeaked by Pacific last night. But Drew Temme had 38 points. So like he's still playing. But yeah, losing to Loyola Marymount and uh, uh, dropping a, a home conference game. Kind of unreal. Because I mean, yeah, they've lost some other games this year. But they were to... Texas and Baylor and Purdue and, you know, no big deal. And they've had some close calls against teams like San Francisco and Santa Clara and BYU. But, yeah, I don't know what to expect here. It's almost – but you know what? Like, I look at Gonzaga and the regular season struggles this year almost make me think – Yes, this this, this is, is my year. this is my theory on them. So like, if I watch them objectively, their defense is way worse than in previous yes. seasons. That's been their biggest obstacle. Their offense is still great. Yes, great shooting team. They don't turn the ball over very much, but at the same time, like I've watched the teams in the past and I've been convinced on multiple occasions, this is the Gonzaga. Nobody team that's can beat win this team. Yeah, they will win it all. Like Baylor beat them in the championship. I thought that team was one of the better teams that has been around right. in the last 10, 20 years. This team does not look like that. Maybe this is the team that wins it I, all. I, I don't like. Why not? There's something there, right? There's like you're gonna have some. I mean, this has been the thing that people have wanted about Gonzaga for years. That was like, was the regular season too easy for them? And now they're not like battle tested. They're not even when they've scheduled tough teams at the beginning. The fact that their conference is such a cakewalk for them most years, uh, people feel like that hurts them come tournament time. So maybe the fact that they're having to deal with some some tough times in the conference schedule this year. I don't know, man. I'm not no dumb. no hills without valleys. That's right, something like that. I think that's what that that, that is it. Uh, so maybe this is the year that Mark Few is able to like lean on some. You know, you can actually preach resilience, and you dealt with some struggles, so you're you're toughened up for the tournament. We'll see. It's it was nice to see again as a UVA fan, like I, the two teams that I think have been playing the best, Houston and UCLA, both losing this weekend, right? Yeah. Like, and and you losing it to Arizona on the road, not a terrible loss, but they just did not shoot the ball well at all. Mm-hmm. Didn't look the same, and they had been unbeatable for so long. Yeah. And Houston has just looked like this powerhouse defensive unit. And so those are the two teams that I've just been like, okay, I think these are the teams that will, they look tournament ready to me. Mm -hmm. Seeing both of them lose gives me a little bit of hope. I'm telling you, it goes into the thing that we've talked about a number of times, which is the the lack of a dominant team. There's there's nobody out there that doesn't have holes. There's nobody Mm -hmm. out there that isn't uh, vulnerable. So, yeah, again, we've said it before. I'll say it again. It's going to be... I think it's going to be a fun ride this year coming down to the end of it. Before we move off of basketball generally, yeah, I want to take one brief moment to talk about UVA's women's team. Okay. Which, on a little bit of a slide right now. A little bit of a slide. They've had a couple of games where they had uh, leads in the second half and haven't been able to hold on to it, which is not surprising for a team that hasn't been in contention for a while sure. and now is kind of building the program in the right direction, you you have to learn how to win, how to close out games that are contested, that mm-hmm. you have a lead, right? Mm-hmm. So that is a, 
that is a discernible skill that you need to develop. I'm not as worried about that. The thing that I'm upset about Mm -hmm. is Sam Brunel getting ejected from her last game with a flagrant two fighting foul. Sure. And not being able to play today at Notre Dame. At Notre Dame, returning home, which I was very excited to watch today. It was on my list of things I was going to do today. Mm -hmm. That was taken away from me. And I think it's unfair. Sure. And before I ask what your opinion is of this, I want to preface this by saying that we are a pro Sam Brunel podcast. Absolutely. One, hopefully one day she'll join the podcast. Yeah. She has a great podcast of her own. I'm a, I'm a big Sam Brunel fan. I, right. You know, we've seen her locally uh, um, through her prep career. And, and, like, as somebody who's not even a UVA fan, I was excited to see her coming back to, like, transferring to UVA. It's a cool story. I think she's an awesome uh, person. And, and so I, I had... I knew that this happened. I had not seen the play until today. So let me clarify something. Is the the fact that she got the one game suspension, is that only because it was deemed a fighting? Yeah, it's a fighting foul, foul which okay. is an automatic one game suspension with no recourse for appeal. Which by the way, let's just flag that as a really bad policy. Sure. Like, sure. The fact that there's no way no to appeal. appeal. Right. What? So here's my take on the play. I, I can't I the thing I hate with plays like this is similar to the leaky black thing. We can't get in the player's head. So I don't know what Sam was thinking. I don't know what the emotion was or anything like that. Watching that play, it seems fairly objectively clear to me that she deliberately kicked the player. Like, it does not look like a natural motion. Okay, I'm not criticizing. I understand. The player, there was some stuff leading up to the what I perceive to be an intentional kick. That I, I get it. Like, it, it was an emotional reaction, I think, that I may have had too. Uh, and and I, I don't think she meant to be dirty. I don't think that she, like, had any fighting intent. That That's the part that is most absurd to me, is the fact that you were labeling this fighting and giving her a suspension. A technical, even an ejection, I think warranted. I I, I mean, I think she, I, she... It seems clear to me that she kicks the player. Like, that... I have a hard time... I would have a hard time hearing any argument that this was not an intentional act by Sam Brunel. So from my perspective, and I think I do a really, really good job of being objective about these things. Sure, you do. This is the single biggest travesty in American history. Okay. This is, she got her foot tangled up under this girl's legs as the girl is on the floor, like trying to grab her. Also after being popped in the face on a, like running in off a screen. Yeah, yeah. No, all that is true. And then it's also true that she kicked her. She was trying to extricate herself from no. the situation. No. The foot was already out. She she had mm. gotten... Yeah, this was not mm. a step. This was... There's no reason for her foot to have moved with force in that direction. To get get it out? Sometimes no. it's like... it's like To move... To, 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 to get the foot away out of the situation, she it's has like to a Chinese finger forward trap. into the player? That's, that's what it is. Okay. A Chinese finger trap. Look, I'm not criticizing Sam Bird. I, I I get it. And like... And I would, I would say this to her face. Like, I think you kicked her. I, look, we both coach, and we've had situations this season with players who did things, not this, but like throwing a ball at another player. And in the moment, they're like, I didn't mean to do that. And if you talk to them later, they're like, no, like, I obviously meant to do it, but I didn't mean to allow myself to do that. Like, I think that is a very real thing that happens in sports. I Look, I again, Sam Brunel is a tremendous person. I've seen... You know, her 
relationship. We were just talking about this the other day. Her relationship with youth players in this area, and she still, you know, continues to give back to the community and have a massive presence in the community. This is not a criticism of her at all. I just think we have to call a spade a spade, and like she did, kick the girl. Like, Hashtag free Sam. Yeah, this is, yeah. She shouldn't have been suspended. This is awful. That that is awful. That yes, the suspension is a is a horrific decision by the ACC. This rule is stupid. There should be a way to there should be a way to appeal. So you could look at this and say yes, she kicked this. Not fighting, fighting. <laughs> I don't know, like, like throwing a punch or if something. If she if this is fighting, then Leaky Black fought too, right? right, right. So like th- this that's, is. I think that's more of where I'm coming from. It's not that she did. That literal, is a I'm not saying she literally did nothing wrong. Yeah, no, she I, did retaliate in some way, but. And good for her. Like, but she also was like in the process of having her ankle possibly, you know, so, fractured. So yes, like, you should retaliate. Like, absolutely. There was a dirty play by the Florida State player, and I, I, I who can't, then taunted, yeah, then taunted yes. Sam as she was. Sure, oh, I can't even talk. Sure. About this. So there should like again. I, I don't like to even get in the heads of anybody here. So I don't. I don't want to get into the head of the Florida State player and try to like make any sort of. Um, conjecture as to what she was thinking or whatever, but it, that play looked dirty, and then it looked like Sam Brunel retaliated. This is not a Grayson Allen thing where she's the instigator. This is something where there was a moment where she got clocked on the screen, and then there seemed to be a Grayson Allen, Mac Jones type leg twist that was going on, and she had a reaction to it. And I don't blame her. She's a human being. I genuinely think that if she were asked to be honest about it, she could probably admit it, maybe not now, but at some point, that like, yeah, I reacted. I it'll swung be my see, foot. It'll be interesting to see, hear her podcast this week. Yeah. Because I'm sure that will be a subject. Because I, I, I could see her being honest and saying, like, yeah, I made a mistake, right? Because to me, it's going to be clear to people who watch it, even people who are watching through orange and blue glasses, that, like, there's something there. There, So I always feel this way when something like this happens and a fan base gets so up in arms about like, there's no way that's a kick. The reason you're so up in arms is because there's a part of you that knows that it was and you don't like that makes you mad. Because it's hard to reconcile that with who we know Sam Brunel to be. She's a human being though. Like, I, no blame at all. It just, this all right. is a well, thing that when, when she eventually gets invited to the podcast, yeah. I will not have you be part of it. Okay. I, we can't, that's like, fine. Come on, come on. I don't think she would want to run away from that conversation, but you know, free Sam. Yeah, free free Sam. Absolutely. From that, like she should have been playing against Notre Dame. Would it have mattered in terms of a result? I don't know. This team's lost six of its last eight. I, mean, I don't think they would. They probably injury, would not like, have beaten Notre Dame on the road. No, I, I just wanted to see it. I wanted it would have been a cool thing for her. And yeah. without her, UVA is not going to win a lot of games based no. on their current roster, especially with Mir McLean out. Right. It's yeah. it's not. It's probably not doable, and you know, at this point, we look at it and we look at what they have left, and they have they've got a tough schedule left. I mean, the ACC is just kind of a a buzzsaw when it comes to women's basketball. So yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be difficult, but at the same time, you can look at it and say like, hats off to Coach Moxon. Like the the progress has been unbelievable. Like that program is absolutely on the right track. You know, watching that as a fan of a program who has been nationally elite in the last few years and is sliding a little bit this year expected like like Elisa Cunane's gone (laughs) that's tough Jada Boyd's been out so you know State has also been struggling a little bit but beat Louisville today and look I I love ACC women's basketball because it's just like 
it's only getting better. A lot of good teams. <laughs> Virginia Tech has skyrocketed in the last couple of years. You know, Carolina and Duke both positive trajectories. Virginia, obviously a positive trajectory with five-star recruits coming in next year. Like, pretty unreal. So, yeah. Uh, free Sam, though. That is the – I'm with you on that. I also want to point out, just very briefly before you go into whatever segment you have planned for us last, yeah. let's follow up with uh, the Academy of Art this week, big, big win against Concordia at 94-63. Just a dominant performance. They did fall against Point Loma. Point Loma ranked 20th ah, in, the, look. in the country. They lost by three. That's, a, That's a pretty good performance against a ranked Point Loma absolutely, team. Absolutely. Uh, for a school in the Academy of Art that is, you know, growing on the come up, uh, I'd say Point Loma is a tough draw. Yeah. You know where they are? In Point Loma, mm-hmm. California. Mm, yeah. Don't know where that is. San Diego area. Okay. What I was curious about, I was thinking about this. I got to assume that the Academy of Art leads in points in the paint, right? Ooh. Oh. You know, like that? Yeah. That's yeah. Good. You didn't really catch my tough draw joke, but. Oh, I didn't. Yeah. Oh. It's okay, man. You had multiple ones prepared. I did. Uh, well, you didn't even know I was going to bring this up, but you just right. Yeah, it was just off the dome. Um, I'm a big Academy of the Arts fan, so I. Uh, I just have these ready to roll. Is anytime somebody brings up the Urban Knights, oh, there you go. I just thought I would thought uh, thought I would bring them up. Since yeah, we're we're big fans of them. Then this podcast is mostly about them now. So yeah, absolutely. So I've got a um, a great segment for us to close out with. I was thinking about this this past week. Okay. So here's I'll just I'll start it off with an example because this is what got me thinking about it. I was just reflecting on the NFL season. And, you know, there's all right now these think pieces out about the vacant coaching jobs and which ones are, you know, appealing to candidates, which ones maybe not as much. And one of the ones that I was reading about was the Denver Broncos job. And one of the big drawbacks to the Denver Broncos job, which is so fascinating to even think of this as a drawback a couple years ago, wouldn't have been, is that you have Russell Wilson under a massive contract and that's viewed as a drawback because obviously he didn't play well this year. And, you know, you're kind of thinking like, oh, has he fallen off? And you're locked into paying him a ton of money. So what this really got me thinking about was my individual perception of Russell Wilson. Now, as an NC State fan, there was a time when I absolutely loved Russell Wilson and thought that he was the greatest thing This guy was going to win the Heisman in my mind. Like, you know, similarly to how UVA fans in the past couple of years have responded to Bryce Perkins and Brennan Armstrong. This thought of like, here's this kid that nobody looked at nationally and was like, he's going to be a star. And he kind of turned into a star. However, currently, I can't stand Russell Wilson. He's weird. Yeah, he's weird. He's corny. I don't like the way he behaves. His teammates are always trying to fight him on the yeah. sidelines, and while he's being like, "Hey guys, let's just keep on at it." He just kind of sucks. Like I, I, I feel like so. The overarching segment is people in sports, athletes, coaches, anybody who your personal perception of has shifted the most. Whether that's going from I absolutely love this person to now I hate them, or somebody you hated that you now love. Okay. So I'm curious to see who, if you have people like that. We can kind of go back and forth here if you can think of some people. Yeah, I've, I think I got, uh, I think I have some in both directions. Okay. 
Hit me with so, one. So, and, and I'm going to try to keep this ACC focused, but you can pick whoever yeah, you want. My, yeah. You can pick whoever you want. But so, somebody that I've liked more, may he rest in peace, referenced earlier today as having the middle name Evil, mm. Dean Smith. So, you I, used to hate him. I you? used to hate him. Four Corners was before my time, but just. He always just looked like this grouchy guy who was always complaining about calls, and I hated Carolina. Mm-hmm. But I've heard so many stories about how his players thought of him as a father. Like, he yeah. left in his will to 180 of his players $200 to give out to a bunch of players to just have them go out on a nice dinner. Like, what? Like, yeah. that's super nice. That's and, awesome. like, lots of community service work. I take back my evil comment. The E stands for... Edwards. Enjoy your dinner. <laughs> so... Jesus. I'm probably cutting that, too. No, I think that has so, to stay in. <laughs> so, I don't know. Like, I just always... Like, when you when you take a step back, as much as I hate Carolina, here, here's somebody who was an amazing coach, and his players revered him as mm-hmm. more than a coach, not just like a cranky old man as who I saw him. So I think I can appreciate what he brought to the, the game of basketball. Okay. You're not ready for this. I'm just telling you right now. But I don't even have to make the argument because I'm taking the same argument you just made. It's Coach K. That you like more? I like more than I used to. I oh, used I've to, always liked Coach K. I though. used. Oh, okay. Well, I used to just blindly hate him because he was Duke's coach and he's annoying and all this stuff. And sure, we can look at the farewell tour. and That was a little annoying. Yeah. Okay, fine. But also, like, he kind of earned it. You know, like this is kind of how I view like some of the stuff around LeBron and other superstars where people are like, oh, they're putting too much attention on themselves. Like, okay, but also like Coach K, again, all I need is look at the way his former players feel about him. Right. Right. And that I know that like as a person who doesn't like Duke, the whole brotherhood thing is annoying, but it's real. Like he has built a family. Even players that didn't play a full four years or whatever with him feel a connection and the the way they talk about it it's unreal like this guy cared for him and as a state fan the relationship between coach k and jim valvano speaks volumes when jimmy v was dying um there was no coach that stood by him more than coach k i just have a lot of respect for the guy and i think as john shire is proving this year like what he was doing at duke was not easy uh, you can't just assume because it's Duke, like they're just naturally going to be good. There's coaching that has to be done, and Coach K is in the conversation for best to ever do it in terms of coaching college basketball. Is yeah. he? I'm not saying he objectively is because John Wooden. He's on exists. the Mount Rushmore of it. Absolutely, a hundred percent. And anybody who says otherwise is, is lying. I get the annoying part of him, but yeah. So he's somebody who went from hate to love for me. I and. Especially all the things that he said about Tony Bennett after UVA won the championship. Mm. Like, he was such a gracious person and said things that almost, like, went out of his way to compliment a school that's on the rise that would hurt his school yeah. <laughs> potentially in the conference. So, um, yeah, I got that. I uh, Another one that I have, I think I was I approached a lot of this thinking from my coaching perspective. because mm-hmm. I And this is one that is hard for me to admit, but I think it's definitely true. Gary Williams. Okay. I hated his guts at Maryland, mostly because of Maryland, but just always struck me as like a belligerent guy. The way, what changed for me is his ability to walk away from Maryland 
given mm. the the changing AAU landscape, like uh, in a, in a time where a lot of other programs were giving jobs to people, kind of backhanded yeah. deals. He just said, "I'm not going to do that." Not doing this. Even yeah. even given the fact that the school like kind of chased him out a little bit because of it, right? Yeah. It was the only national championship they've ever won. For his ability to just kind of stand by his values and integrity and say like, no, I don't think I want to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. And he he really is like he's he's given interviews in the DC market all, all the time about basketball. He really does know the game as well as any coach. Oh out yeah, there. like he is extremely smart. So I always really respected him as a coach. Those those Duke Maryland bat the Gary Williams Coach K ba- battles were unreal. Yeah, like the the guy is genius. Is a genius. Um, he is hateable, but. If you take a step back from that, then. now that he's not attached to Maryland, right. I can, I can say I could see in my coaching things that I aspire to be with him as a model, which is something I never would have been able to do as a teenager. Yeah. All right. Uh, um, I'm going to give you two at a time because they're both connected to ones that we've said. Okay, go ahead. Um, they're both hate to love, uh, or like I went from hating them to loving them. Yeah. Um, one with the Duke train is JJ Redick. Mm. Hated him as a player. As he got into the NBA, I I liked him more because he was somebody who early on you could look at and say like, based on his draft position, he wasn't. It was going to be hard for him, right? He couldn't be the player in the NBA that he was in college, where he's kind of an all around scorer and all this stuff. Like he he kind of became a specialist, which had to be hard for him. And he, he made a way to, to build a very long career. And now his post-playing like media career, I, I love the guy. Like he, He's incredibly smart. His perspective on all things basketball. I, I, I've almost never heard him say something as a podcaster, as a voice on basketball that I really disagree with. Like I just, he understands the game. He's got a healthy perspective on it. You know, I, I think this is somebody. It's probably because he's grown up a lot, right? I mean, he was a college kid. We forget that sometimes that like these are kids when we hate them. He also had to endure horrendous <laughs> heckling, yeah, heckling that none of us can even conceive of. Not in just the like, boo! I right. hope you miss a shot. Like some of the, like, most, I hope your family dies. Right? Yeah. Like some of the things Maryland fans said to him in particular in those games, like yeah, would be hate speech now, right? Like yes. you. So yeah, I I I always liked JJ Redick. I I always liked like I grew up liking those Duke teams mm-hmm. because they ran their program the right way in the in the 90s. Not that they like don't run it the right way yeah. now, but just, you know, they they had some appeal of like graduating all their right. players and stuff like that and so yeah, I I never hated him, but yeah, I can totally see why. Well, and I think too like He's easier to like now because Grayson Allen exists. So that's the guy we all thought JJ Redick was. And I'll just put it on him. <laughs> yeah. So it segues even better now. The second one I'm gonna throw in because you mentioned the heinous um, heckling and even mentioned Maryland. Grievous Vasquez. Boo. No. Okay. Boo. So here's the thing. Boo. I always I'm felt- editing this out. I'm not <laughs> keeping. <laughs> no, I always felt sympathetic towards Grievous Vasquez because he endured some of the worst heckling that any player. Has had to endure. I'm sorry. Did you say endure or gave it to fans from his own? Wouldn't you too if fans were chanting "Where's your green card?" and other racially motivated things at you constantly? I would. I can't speak to what I would do in that situation because I did not have that lived experience. Sure, I didn't either. But I can only imagine that I'd want to give it back too. 
But my liking of him has nothing to do with his college career. I loved him in the NBA. Like, this was a guy who just objectively was not a very good NBA player, but just carved out a solid role as a contributor on some teams. And and I just liked it. I don't know. Like, Grievous Vasquez to me, and a lot, some of it has to do with, like, then I would go play NBA 2K and I'm building my, like, franchise. And he, you could always get him for cheap. And he was always a solid backup point what guard. Great, what a great reason to love someone. Whatever, man. We're like, I, my, you know, we grew up playing these sports video games, and it does shape your perspective on players. And I almost always there was a run there where my team in, in NBA 2K had Grievous Vasquez on it because he was just a solid off the bench point guard who just was gritty. He's got some size. I just always felt sympathy for him for the stuff that he endured from opposing fan bases. Okay. I know you hate Maryland. But did you hate him before? <laughs> I, See, that's I, the thing. I thought this was like hate fair. to love. You're saying like even as a player. I you felt sympathetic kind of... for him, but I, I didn't like him because I also didn't like Maryland. Okay. But like, no. Did I hate him as much as I hated J.J. Redick initially? No. But like, okay. I mainly put him on here because I wanted to mess Yeah, with I mean, you. That, that's that's more. You didn't even. Yeah. That's just a I didn't even me. hide that. <laughs> um. I'm moving on because I don't want to talk about him anymore. The my last one that I have in the hate to love category is Steve Spurrier, which attached Ooh. to Duke. He is so funny, and he was a troll. He was always a troll. This this one is about me. Like sometimes <laughs> people develop from one, you know, they they grow over their lives, right? Yeah. And you recognize that growth, and it's encouraging. You're like, you know, I like this person more. They've uh, matured. No, Steve Spurrier was the same person the whole <laughs> way through, and I have grown. I am the one who has matured to understand that his trollish sense of humor, yeah. even away from the game, this this year, he's talking trash about Tennessee losing to South Carolina. <laughs> like, yeah. he has no reason to do that other than to just poke at Tennessee. I fans. did love him in South I Carolina. I love that. Yeah, I loved him as a South Carolina coach. I was... I during that like those peak years, the Marshawn Lattimore and or not Marshawn Lattimore, that's I'm combined Marcus Lattimore and uh, Jadavian Clowney, like the Stephen Garcia years. I was dating a girl who went to South Carolina, so like I kind of got to enjoy some of that. Mm. And those, yeah, the head ball coach and his little quips after the game, and just I love that and his stupid little visor. Kirby Smart wants to be him so bad. Yes, he yeah. does. Yeah. Just the fact that like he was comfortable enough with himself to be an NFL head coach, be a, with Washington, and just be like, well, we got to organize practices around my tea times. Yeah. It's like, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. That's what I want to be. Objectively, that's pretty great. Yeah, that's good stuff. I've got one more in my hating to then love category, but it's actually a complicated one. It's a hate to love to hate. Mm. So started out hating him, loved him for a period. Now I hate him again. It is none other than the point god himself, Chris Paul. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so I hated Chris Paul in college, mostly because he punched uh, Julius Hodge in the nuts. I assumed he would be, like, one way or the other, but interesting. Yeah, absolutely hated him in college. He was fun to watch. Like, obviously, he was very, very good. Uh, that was a fun little weird post-Tim Duncan period where Wake was good again. And then he got... I hated him then. Then he made it to the pros. And he was just so damn good for so much of his NBA career that I just absolutely loved watching him. And just thought, like, this guy is great. And now he's so insufferable. He's kind of gone back to being a dirty player. Maybe he just always was and I ignored it during the prime of his NBA career. But now he's, like, not very good anymore. Uh, he's still decent. But 
he just he annoys me. I I don't like him, um, and I wish he would just retire because I he's kind of gone the Russell Wilson route for me now, where like he's still trying to be this like dynamic fiery leader and tell everybody what they need to do on the court. But like, hey buddy, you're not that good anymore. Like you're like the third best player on your team at at best. Mm. Yeah. So Chris Paul, you've fallen back out of favor with me. But I do have to give him like. <laughs> He went to. He graduated from my dad's alma mater, like high school, West Forsyth High School, in Salem. So there's like some like local love there, but also again, that's not really a reason to love someone. I that's, know it's just like, like you feel like you have to have some positive thing of like, but no, I, I mean I still would say overall I hate the guy. Okay, like I'd punch him in the nuts. Um, do you want to just race through? <laughs> yeah, love to hate the love to hate because a big unfortunately for this for me this was. Says maybe a lot about my personality. This was a lot easier to do of people I liked and That's now fair. hate. That's fair. Than it was to go the other direction. Yeah. Uh, Kyrie Irving. Mm. That's a good one. I forgot him. Like he but was that's really, good really good and really fun to watch. Fun to watch. And now, I mean, the most toxic teammate you could ever ask for. Yeah. Like, particularly after the pandemic. No, not a fan of his. Yeah. Um, Deshaun Watson. Obvious, Ooh. obvious reasons why. So okay, so you did leave one on like this because I was yeah, gonna go Michael I, Vick, but yeah. yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't have a lot to, more to say to that. Um, one, one that I loved growing up, mm-hmm. like as as somebody who was not tall and couldn't shoot the ball, uh, Steve Wojciechowski was like my hero yeah. and who I wanted to be. Like I wanted to just take like four charges a game every game. Ugh. He's pretty annoying. <laughs> He's pretty annoying as a coach. I was yeah. glad he got forced out of Marquette. That's um, interesting. So he's out. I put Matt Ryan on here mostly just to make you happy because I liked him just, you know. And yeah, he, he at beat, Boston College. Yeah, he yeah. beat Virginia Tech a bunch of times. He was so, so fun to watch. He was a good quarterback, and now I hope he – they just need to give him the old yeller treatment at this point. <laughs> yes, I volunteer. Uh, and then I have two on here that are announcers. Okay. And one makes me really sad because I love Corey Alexander as a person. Mm. He is just Ooh. the worst announcer. Oh yeah. my goodness! I don't. He's I put him on mute if he's calling a game I want to watch, especially if it's a UVA game. Mm-hmm. It's oh, it's intolerable. And then the other one is Jay Billis. Mm-hmm. Like here's somebody who Gotta one of the smartest work. people, but yeah, he has that vibe. And then he also just has this like sneering, uh, like talk down to you. Like I, he, uh, my opinion is the only the the league has to do something about mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. It's like okay, man, like. My Just, favorite Jay Billis thing is if you watch a game that he calls, anytime there's a controversial call or a call that there may be some question about, he is always wrong about it. Mm. Like, always. If it's, like, a questionable block charge or should this be a flagrant, like, he'll say it. But then what he does that I absolutely love is after the call is made, he'll try to, like, he'll not all the time, he will frequently try to backtrack. Like, mm. oh, well, okay, yeah, you see it from yeah, that no, angle. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, dude, you... You just got wrong. He's like you got every, wrong. every dad everywhere who just can't deal with the idea of being wrong about something and just has to be like, well, I didn't see it that way, and, you know, I've done my own research now and see that that was, in fact, a charge. Like, I just, yeah, Jay Billis sucks. Um, I had two for my, I love them now, I kind of hate them. One is hard for me to admit. As an NC State fan, harder than Russell Wilson, it's Philip Rivers. Mm. Like, that guy's a lot. He, I liked his kind of like, even through a lot of his pro career, I kind of liked his like dopey personality and all that, but it's just worn on me and no thank you. And then the other one, 
uh, Adam Morrison. Not ACC related. Oh, interesting. But I loved Adam Morrison in college. The whole like crying on the court when they lost thing. I was like, oh, this is endearing. Like, this well, he's tall and ugly, so yeah. I mean, so I understand fits. why. Fits, right, exactly. Just like you identified with Wojo. That's right. <laughs> yeah, small white guy. I was like, man, doesn't have skills. This guy's tall. Uh, all he can really do is shoot the basketball, and he is really ugly. Seems like me, but yeah, he just you know he and he had like inspirational story he was diabetic and like it was big for him to make it as like a big athlete again being diabetic is not a reason to like no but it led to a cool story where like he had to push through like medical concerns that make it difficult to be a big time athlete fair okay that's fine so where does the hate come in uh he was drafted in the top three by my beloved then charlotte bobcats how'd that work out not great bob and i just like i i there are a few it's hard to find a comparable bust in the NBA. Like, it just seemed... It's interesting, because now I think he would actually have a better career. Not great, but a better career. But, like, he just came at a time where tall white dudes who could shoot and not do anything else really wasn't a spot for him. So I hate him for, you know, really setting up a pretty bad trajectory for the Bobcats. But, you know, it, it, it all worked out, because now that name is gone, and Bob Johnson is gone, and... I think he's doing Gonzaga games on yeah. He's the color radio guy. Yeah, so I, I'm sure if I listened to that, I probably would like him again. But it's hard for me to forgive the wounds to my favorite professional basketball team that were created by putting hope in Adam Morrison and that dirty mustache. <laughs> oh, man. Well, that was, that was fun. I yeah. like that. Yeah, so we should think of some more. Yeah, if you have any players, coaches that you hated and now love or love and now hate have conflicting feelings about you can email the show at preferred walk-ons at yahoo.com please do yeah i would i would love more email more fan email let's get that just one our fan our our fan from saudi arabia please write in and see who you have yes please do